We'll read the first 15 verses, and we will be covering verses 12 to 15 this morning. Let us read. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Christ Jesus, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. The angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, speak ev- and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of what they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, In these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feast. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by the wind, by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea foaming up to their shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and, as, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Father, please, Lord, by your Spirit, speak to us through your Word, Lord God pour out your spirit in such a powerful way as we go through these warnings once again 
speak, Lord. And help me, Lord God, to clarify. In Jesus' name, amen. Jude has painstakingly been super thorough, methodical, systematic, if you will, in an effort to portray the identities of these apostates, these apostates who had made their way into the church of Jesus Christ. He, he, is, he is not backed down from identifying who these people are, what they look like. And this morning in what we just read, Jude metaphorically describes these same apostates in such a way that he paints a picture of, of things that, 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 that could look attractive, but they're really not useful, of, of, of things that, that, that should be fruitful and things that are good, per se, but they are not. And so in verses 12 and 13, he starts off by saying, these, all this that we have been reading about, culminating from, from verse 1 or first from, actually from verse 4 or 3, all the way to right now, he, he says about these, these are spots in your love feasts. These, are, these guys are spots in your love feast. Now the word spots can mean stains or blemishes. Something that has been defiled. Something that's not as pure <laughs> as it should be. That's what the word spot could mean or can mean. But the real meaning of the word spots here is that of a ledge or a wreath of rocks in the sea. It's interesting because you would look at it like, what? But but the definition in the Strong's Concordance is an unrecognized source of danger or peril. Unseen danger, hidden danger. This verse or this portion of this verse could could easily read this way. These are hidden dangers in your fellowship meals. You see, a, a captain of a ship, not that I have ever been one, but a captain of a ship needs to be aware of the dangers of rocks and reefs in the sea. Because they can cause considerable damage and perhaps even irreparable damage to a vessel. It could bring about disaster, not only for the vessel itself, but for the people that are on this vessel. It's one thing when when someone who is the captain of a ship... It's one thing to, to see rocks, and it's like, well, man, you're going to avoid it at all costs. To know that you're in an area that, that, that there's rocks underneath that really can't be seen, but you know it because you're familiar with it, that's another thing as well. You, you, you will avoid that at all costs. You will go around it if you have to. But, but Jude is talking about those who are hidden those who, who lie just under the surface and they go unnoticed. 
And they make the waters look almost calm to you, but they're really not. Underneath, man, there's danger. And, and the love feast that he is talking about indicates the closest times of meeting as believers, such as a, a, a time like this or a home study or, 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 or maybe a, a, a potluck, wherever food might be. But it also can contain or, or, or allude to times where people gather together at the Lord's table for communion. He calls these love feasts. It, it, it can encompass all of those kinds of things. He says that these spots, they blend right in. They're hiding their true agenda. They have come in with a different agenda, but they're not going to be open about it. They're not going to come in and say, hey, guess what? I'm a wolf. <laughs> they're going to have the wolf's clothes or the sheep's clothing over them and try to hide their fangs and their claws as, far, as much as they can. But they're not going to come in right away and just tell you, hey, man, I'm here to deceive you. I'm here to draw you away. I'm actually here to ruin the church. They're not going to do that. They come in and they become, they, they, they kind of hide just beneath the surface. And they come into these love feasts. And as I was thinking about that, just that whole little scenario of, of an intimate time when, when you're gathered together and the Lord is just ministering to people, I was reminded of Judas Iscariot who had a hidden agenda and nobody else knew it except for the Lord Jesus. And I understand that Scripture had to be fulfilled in all of that, but Judas had been around Jesus for three and a half years. He had been in and among the disciples. He didn't, I don't think, he looked like this beady-eyed, you know, scoundrel-looking kind of guy that kind of was hunchback and always like, <laughs> he had this wicked laugh. I don't think he was any of that. I actually believe he, just, he, he looked like the most trusted guy. Probably had a face like mine. I don't know. He probably looked so legit. And yet there was an underlining tone to that man. But he was in and among them. And even in the most intimate of times, at the Last Supper with Jesus, this man knew why he was there. He knew what he would be doing that night. He had already planned it. He had already went and schemed with the high priest, and he went anyway, and he, he was there. It says that they come in to these feasts, and they feast with you without fear. The Apostle Peter, in writing about the same subject, said that these types even do these things in the daytime. In other words, in broad daylight, they are so good in entering in, in fitting in, that in broad daylight, they know their, their cover is not going to be blown. Because they're so good at what they do in that sense. And even though their motives are hidden, they are good at deceiving other people. And they have no fear of being found out 
because they know that the people are already trusting them. They've already gained the confidence of some within the body of Christ who, who aren't discerning, who, who, who haven't caught the underlining tone behind this person. They just come in and, and they just fit right in, just like Judas. The phrase, serving only themselves, reveals that they are in some sort of position of leadership within the church. And they have gained the confidence in and among the people. The word for serving can also mean feeding or shepherding. And it speaks of a shepherd who is to feed and tend and serve the sheep. But, but this shepherd, this leader, is only thinking of feeding and tending and serving himself, not the sheep. He, he is out to see what he could get from them, not what he can give to them. The, the, these sheep are already, in, in some ways, dependent upon him because they trust him. And as a serious thing as it is to shepherd the flock of God, these spots, they have no fear of God. Because nothing has happened to them as of yet, they just feel like, well, God must be okay with this because He hasn't judged me yet. He hasn't held me from walking in. He hasn't stopped me. They have no fear of God, so it only stands to reason that they are not going to have fear of the people of God. And so they come in and among the people and they feast with them. But it's all about them. As we sh we've shared already about these guys. They, they are egotistic. It is all about them. They're only there to see what they can get for themselves. He, he, calls, he, he says that they are, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds. I think oftentimes, especially living up here in the high desert, <clears throat> oftentimes we hear that it's supposed to rain, right? And then, and, then, and then we begin to see even clouds forming up against the mountains or we see it's coming and, and, and we're excited because we like the rain. We need the rain, right? And, and so all of a sudden we're, we're looking at these ominous clouds that are out there and we're excited. It's like, ooh, it even smells like rain or, you know, it kind of looks like rain. It looks like we're going to get rain. And then, you know, a few minutes later, a few hours later, it's like the sun is out. It's shining. And then you're going, we didn't even get a drop of rain. And these clouds have passed us by. And it's almost like the wind just took them and they were promising, but they delivered nothing. <laughs> They delivered nothing. We got no rain. And that's who these apostates are. These, these people who have crept in. They, 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 they might come promising so much, but they are empty. And they truly do not satisfy. They don't satisfy the soul. Because they're not true shepherds. And they're not here to really give and deliver the living word or the living water that comes from the word. They, they, they might be delivering words, 
that, that, that maybe satisfy the emotion of the people, that makes them feel good all the time. And so they know how to tickle people's ears in that sense, how to make them feel great. But when it comes to spiritual satisfaction, true spiritual satisfaction that only the Word of God can truly deliver to the soul and to the spirit of people, they cannot satisfy. They won't give you the true Word lest you find them out. (laughs) They almost kind of keep you from the true Word. They're not encouraging you. You dig deep. You check me out. They're not doing that. They're just wanting to tickle your ears and make you feel great and good. And not that, not that, that we shouldn't do that as pastors, but honestly, if, if you've been with us for a few weeks, these, these messages have not been like rah-rah. They are a warning. They are a warning to us. You know, I, I was thinking about this as I'm, 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 I'm studying and, and writing stuff out for my notes and stuff. I'm, I'm thinking, man, the people are probably going, another warning? Can we just talk about love and grace? Can you just make me feel good, Zeke, inside? So when I walk out of here, it's like, yeah, I went to church today. Instead of like, man, I went to church. Jeez. Whoa, man. You see, the Word of God doesn't always make us feel good. It really doesn't. It it, it should convict our hearts, for one, but it should warn us as well. Because there's nothing... Well, there is a lot of great stuff, don't get me wrong, but there is a lot of warning in the Word of God and that we need to be aware and that we need to be on our toes and we need to be praying for spiritual discernment in our lives. Again, what the world does, the world does, peeps. But when you're in the church and there's people that have snuck in to draw you away and you go hook, line, and sinker because you don't know your Word then you're going to be drawn away. And that's who these people go after. They're empty. But you're looking and you're going, but they look great. They look amazing. But you don't even see their heart because you don't understand the spiritual things. But, but see, these guys, they will deliver some great swelling words. But they will not satisfy completely. You will always be left like, There's something missing here. Because if they truly gave you the Word of God, that truly satisfied your soul and your spirit, then God will reveal to you through His Word where people's hearts are at. He calls them late autumn trees without fruit. And, and the picture here is that of a, an orchard in autumn time in the fall when, when the farmers are expecting to come out and gather some fruit. But these, fruit, these trees are fruitless. The, the, the farmer has done everything necessary for it to bear fruit, but there is none. There is none. And Jesus said in Matthew 7, 16, He says, you shall know them by their fruit. You know, people often say, well, we're not supposed to judge. It's like, well, you can be a good fruit inspector, though. <laughs> you can inspect the fruit. See if it's quality 
fruit, if there's any at all. But see, you should be able to discern if there is fruit in somebody's life or not. But see, if there's no fruit in your life, then how can you tell? Honestly, how can we tell? If, if, if there's no fruit really growing in our lives. And Jesus said, you, you will know them by their fruit. Those who, who, who teach and preach the word of God have the responsibility of feeding other people. And if we just gave you dessert to where you felt good about yourself all the time, what good is that? If you're not getting the meat of the Word, or you're not getting the whole counsel of the Word that says, yes, there's love and peace and grace and all those things that we experience, but there's wolves out there as well that will come and devour the, the, the flock of God, then you're just going to believe everybody. I, I, I am not the type that clicks on the TV and watches everybody on TV because, you know what, sometimes it's like, I can't, I can't handle it. I can't, I can't handle what they're preaching or what they're saying that they're preaching because you're going, come on, dude, are you serious? These people are going away empty-handed. You have given them nothing, but you've made them feel good and you've probably gotten their money. We are to give you the whole counsel of God. But these apostates, they give nothing. They give nothing that is lasting and satisfactory for your soul. Maybe for your emotion. <laughs> they will stroke you the right way. But they're not going to offend and they're not going to warn. Not only are they fruitless, but it also says that they are rootless. And I kept on, as I was looking at that word rootless, I kept on going through ruthless too. They're ruthless, but they're rootless. There's really nothing going on underneath. And, and you know, as I was thinking about that, you know, sometimes we're, we're driving around here and everybody is, is growing these orchards all of a sudden, you know. They're, they're all over the place. And you see all these trees and they're budding and they're doing all this. And then you just see one that is like dried up. And you're going... Unless the source of the water wasn't getting to it, maybe. But what if it was, and, and it's just dying? And I thought, that's what, you know, that's what was coming to mind when I was looking at this. They, they, they're, they're surrounded by others that look good, but they themselves, they're being dried up. There's no fruit. And, and, and if their root, if they don't have good root, if their root is dying, then eventually it's going to show. But I think oftentimes people is like, but that's okay. Look at all the other good, good trees around them. It's like, no, but be careful of that one. And, and, and he says that, that these, they are like late autumn trees. They're without fruit, and they are twice dead. Doubly dead. And it's quite a contrast from the godly man that we see or that is described in Psalm 1-3 where it says, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bringing forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and, whoever, and whatever he does shall prosper. Lasting prosperity in that sense. Spiritual prosperity. Jude continues with these metaphors calling these 
apostates, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. Even though there is great power in and behind the waves of the sea, they can and will do a lot of damage. (laughs) The image or description here is that of someone who, who has this kind of power, but it's fueled by pride and arrogance that is associated with these apostates. There's a pride and an arrogance that comes with that. And oftentimes, it's not until after the fact, after the storms have cleared, after the sea is calm, that people see the destruction that has been left in the wake of these apostates. After they've ruined people's lives. You see, in the midst of it, people often make excuses for them because they don't want to see that these guys are actually undermining the church and it's after the fact it's like i saw that but gosh i didn't want to i didn't want to be the one that said something and yet all the while the lord had been speaking to you about it but you you see they come in and they destroy i was watching some videos the other day on uh just about weddings and uh, how people you know, do stuff, and stuff doesn't go perfect. But there was this bride and groom taking pictures on the beach. It's like, oh, how lovely. But you knew because of the video, something's going to happen. <laughs> and they look so nice, and they're right on the edge of the water and stuff, and, and the guy is going to be taking their picture, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this wave just comes and takes them out. And it, it, it's funny because it's like they, they didn't see it coming. They weren't expecting that. It's just something that happened. But I'm sure they'll never forget it because they got devastated that day in that sense. And, and, and so it is with unsuspecting Christians who, who, who would never think that somebody in the church, some leader in the church, anybody in the church for that matter, would be out there to take them out, to deceive them, to, to, to bring havoc or bring, bring destruction into their life by drawing them away. You know, because their, their thought is, no, the people in the church should keep us afloat. <laughs> not try to drown us, not try to destroy us, not to, to bring devastation into our lives. But he calls them, Waves, raging waves of the sea that foam up their own shame. Wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And these wandering stars is what we would call a falling star, which is not a star at all. (laughs) We call it a star. They look like a star, but they're not stars. They're meteorites that, that, that are coming into our atmosphere. They're not true stars. They're not fixed stars. The fixed stars, they they have led people and guided people throughout the centuries. 
Mariners who have been out in the seas are, are guided by stars. People that are traveling, they, you know, again, I'm not an outdoorsy kind of guy either, but I'm told and I've read that people can be guided by stars because they're fixed. They've been there for hundreds and thousands of years. It would be foolish for, for somebody to say, oh, there's a shooting star. Let's, let's base our life on it. Let's, let's see if it can guide us and stuff. It's like, no, it's there for a moment and then it's gone. But that's what he calls these guys. They're not fixed stars. They really aren't there to guide you and to lead you. They're a, they're, 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 they're a, a fly-by-night type people. They're there for a moment and then gone. They have no lasting value. Oh, you might get excited about them. <laughs> because whenever we see a shooting star, it's like you kind of get a little excited. Huh? I, I, I do. It's like, oh, geez, did you guys see that? You tell everybody about it. It was awesome. But by the time you start telling people, it's already been burned out. It's run its course. But we can get a little excited about it. But for the most part, these wandering stars, these falling stars, burn out into darkness. And they come to nothing, and that is their end. They come to nothing. Jude says, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now that word reserved is used in verse 6. <clears throat> when, when, when it was talking about the falling fallen angels who, who are now kept and reserved and they've been there for hundreds and thousands of years. They are still kept and reserved in chains under darkness for that judgment. They are still there. <laughs> but, but, but the interesting thing is that the word reserved is the same Greek word from verse 1 that we get preserved from. Which means to be carefully watched and guarded. And it has a future tense attached to the word preserved, just like reserved. Which means that it will keep, preserve, and reserve us to the very end in the positive sense. You know, to know that you are preserved by Jesus Christ. It's the same word. You are reserved for Jesus Christ from here until eternity. And you're going right on. I love it. Feels good to know that. But in regards to these apostates, it is in a negative sense here. They are, they are reserved if they do not repent. They are reserved, preserved, and kept in the darkness, in the blackness of darkness forever. Which means it's forever and ever. It doesn't get any better. Not one bit, not for one moment. This reservation that they have. Now, I, I, I don't think that, that we get the concept of forever here on earth. I know we, we can talk about it. And I can say it's forever and ever. And you're going, oh yeah, that's a long time. But we throw that word around if something just takes too long and, you know, to cook. It's like, it's taking forever. 
If you're in the drive-thru and it's more than two minutes, five minutes, it's like it took forever. And we would say that to somebody. I was at McDonald's. It took forever. (laughs) Oh, I see. Forever, five minutes. Forever, like I said. (laughs) I know some of you guys sit here. It's like Zeke takes forever. (laughs) And it seems like forever. But I try to keep it at 45 minutes. Come on. And you're going, like I said, forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we throw that word around when, when we think that things take longer than they should for us. And so we don't really get the concept of, of really what is forever. But it literally means an unbroken age. Prepetuity of time Time without end, eternity. Again, we could throw that out there and you're going, that seems like a long time. Yeah, it's forever and ever. And add as many evers as you want forever. And it will still be longer than that in our little pea brains here because we can't comprehend forever. We, we, we know that God has been around forever. But it's like, man, try to think, your, your brain will explode. Because we can't comprehend truly what is forever. But he says here that these, these people, these apostates who ruin and come and destroy the church of Jesus Christ are reserved in the blackness of darkness forever, in a bad sense, Forever. And when we think about forever in a good sense, we think amazing, truly amazing. But when we think about it in a bad sense, I don't think we should ever be happy that anybody is going to be there forever in the bad sense, in the darkness, in the blackness of darkness forever. And I believe that we, we should be willing to, to warn people about that. To encourage them that there is a forever on both sides. Jesus said there is a resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous. Everybody lives forever. Every soul lives forever. Whether in heaven or in hell or in the, in the lake of fire. But it's forever, guys. Now verses 14 and 15 says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. Also saying, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all. (laughs) To convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of those and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. (laughs) Now, Enoch. All we know about Enoch are, they're found in two scriptures besides here in Jude. In Genesis chapter 5, verses 18 to 24, where it kind of gives us a little genealogy of who Enoch was. And then in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, where it gives us a quick summation of who Enoch was in one verse. 
And, and in both of these places that we see Enoch, it says, and he walked with God and was not, for God took him. God took him. He's just like, hey, I'm going to just take you. I'm going to snatch you out. He didn't see death in that sense. And the only other place that we, we read about him is here in Jude in these two verses. And he is called the seventh from Adam to identify him as the godly Enoch because Cain had a son by the name of Enoch in, in Genesis chapter 4. But he's the good one. He's the godly one. And Enoch lived in a society that was quickly and rapidly being polluted and destroyed by sin. And yet it says that Enoch walked with God and he kept his life clean even in the midst of a perverse society. But he also ministered as a prophet and announced the coming judgment from what we gather here in Jude. That's all we can gather from there. But most Bible scholars tell us that this quotation is from an apocryphal book by the, call, by the name of the book of Enoch. And the fact that Jude quotes from that non-biblical book does not mean that this book or that book was inspired or even tr- trustworthy. Any, any more than when Paul quotes the Greek poets in, in, in Athens in Acts chapter 17, verse 28, or when he quotes the, Cre- the Cretan prophet in Titus chapter t- 1, verse 12. It doesn't mean that those books or those people were approved by God, but they were quoted. But what we do see is that the Spirit of God led Jude to use this quotation from the book of Enoch to be a part of the inspired scriptures that we have today. Now when Enoch originally gave that message that he would come with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment, it's quite possible that he was referring to the coming judgment of the flood because he was pre-flood. It's quite possible that's what he was talking about because he saw all the wickedness that was happening in that time frame and he says judgment is coming. He lived in an ungodly age that, that, that it seemed, I'm sure to him as well, that sinners were getting away with everything, with all their evil deeds. These ungodly people were doing ungodly evil deeds and nothing was happen to, happening to them, much like we see even today. That we can be like Enoch going, how long, Lord, how long will you let this happen? But Enoch made it clear that judgment was coming and the, the ungodly would get what was coming to them. But this final application of his prophecy, of this prophecy, has to do with the world's end times. The very judgment that Peter wrote about in 2 Peter chapter 3, where Peter mentions that these false prophets or these false teachers, and even in this case, these apostates, 
would, would be mocking these prophecies and arguing that Jesus would never come or that God would never send judgment, but just their attitude alone in, in, in scoffing and, and mocking is proof that the Word of God is true. That both our Lord and His apostles, and, and for that matter, even the prophets of old, said that scoffers and mockers would appear in the last days. Second Peter 3, 1-4 says, Beloved, I now write to you in this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure mind by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandments from us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. People will say, it's not really going to happen. You see, these apostates would be doing the same thing. Well, you know, I know what it says here, but it's really not going to happen. You can go do whatever you want. Enoch gave his prophecy thousands of years ago. And yet we can see the patience of God. Even before the flood. While Noah prepared the flood for 120 years. And yet nobody repents. God is long-suffering. He is patient even against those who rebel against Him. But what does Enoch's prophecy say about the coming judgment? That it will be personal, that the Lord Himself will come. He will come and bring judgment. He will come and judge the world. And he's not going to send a famine or a flood like he did in the past and other times. Nor will he assign this task to an angel of some sort. But he himself will show the judgment and the seriousness of the judgment and the finality of this judgment. Jude says, and Jude, or James says in James 5.9, Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Although it is a personal judgment, the Lord will not judge alone. It says that His saints will be with Him. And the word saints here in Jude 14 means holy ones, which can also refer to angels. But we know from Colossians 3.4, from Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 3.13 and Revelation 19.14, that the people of God, His saints, will accompany the Lord when He returns to the earth and to defeat his enemies and to establish his righteousness. 1 Corinthians, I think it's 1 Corinthians 6, says, do you not know that you will judge the angels? <laughs> Over the centuries, the people of God have suffered under the hands of the ungodly. But one day, the tables will be turned. And God will bring about a universal judgment and all will be judged, like he says here in verse 15. He will execute judgment on all. Not one will escape who deserves his judgment. Not one. Just like nobody escaped 
the judgment of the flood, only those who were inside the ark. The fire and brimstone that fell on Sodom and Gomorrah, none of them escaped except for Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. So the last judgment will encompass all the ungodly. And we have seen, and I've tried to emphasize in verse 15, four different times he uses the word ungodly in that one verse. It will be a day of judgment and perdition, ruin and destruction of all ungodly men. 2 Peter 3, 7 says, But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the judgment, till the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Guys, make, make no mistake about it. God will not be mocked. <laughs> People might pull the wool over our eyes here and there, but God is not mocked. He not only knows what you think, He knows the motives of why you think them. That's how awesome he is. And I am so glad I'm, his, I'm on his side. <laughs> but it breaks my heart that there's people that want to pull the wool over their, his eyes even, and they will not succeed. They will not escape. Nothing will pass him. He will deal justly with the ungodly as well as with the godly. And the question is, where are you at? <laughs> where are you? And I want to leave you with that. Where are you? Godly or ungodly? Let's pray. Jesus, we look to you. We see the severity of this letter, Lord. Even as Jude wrote, wanting to write about the common salvation and yet having to warn, having to encourage the people to contend for the faith because it's a battle, it's a fight. To the bitter end, it's a fight. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here, Lord. For those who have been swept up by maybe people who, who, who tickle their ears, who make them feel good, Lord, but yet they're empty. I pray, God, that... Lord, their hearts would be turned not to, not to me and not to this church, but to you, Jesus, to your word. Your word is, is, is what's living and powerful. Your word is what teaches us. Your word is, is able to divide our thoughts and the intent of our heart, Lord. It's your word. And I pray that, God, our people here would desire it above all else to know what your word says, that they can be taught by your word. And Lord, anybody that stands behind this pulpit here, Lord, would preach the word and not be ashamed. And so, Father, we look to you and we ask you to challenge our hearts, Lord, to continue to teach us, giving us discernment continually. Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us to grow, to mature, in your spirit, Lord, and in your word. We bless you and we thank you, Lord. We give you glory and honor. Lord, that if there's any who are ungodly here this morning, 
Lord, and they are ungodly because they don't have you in their life, Lord. They might think themselves to be good, but they're ungodly. <laughs> they have not had the Spirit of God come into their life. I pray that this morning, Lord, you would convict them. You would persuade them by your Spirit. And you would bring them into your kingdom that they might call themselves godly, whether they feel it, feel it or not, Lord, because they're in you. And so I pray for them, Lord, right now. Please, Lord, capture their hearts. We bless you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. And